Hey everyone, welcome to the OFD Podcast. I'm your host, site manager, Joshua Voles, over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. Jude, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Um, sounds like I'm doing a lot better than you are. You sound like you're losing your voice again. No, 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 that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just a raspy old man. Uh, so. uh, it sounds raspier than 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 usual. So I thought maybe you were screaming at somebody. So oh, without a doubt, that's probably true. I mean, without a <laughs> doubt. Um, I don't know. I, I I had a good time uh, Saturday up at Notre Dame. So uh, hey, major shout out to uh, Lightpole Three Tailgaters. Uh, appreciate the beers, uh, y'all. It's always that's always a good stop for me. Right over there at the um, Mark and those guys hooked me up pretty good. It, it's a quick. It's one of the quicker spots to get to from from the stadium. Uh, so when I look at my clock, I'm like, oh shit, you know, game time and a half hour. It's a it's not quite the journey from the other tailgate. So uh, do they do victory beers afterwards as well? They do do victory beers. So if you guys if you go to a game, Notre Dame wins. Head over to Light Pole Three, and they're doing uh, they're doing victory beers. They're they're chugging them down, putting it down. Uh, you know, for the university, for the brand. God bless them. God, God bless America. Yeah, in fact, it was. Um, yeah, I I uh, of course I had my Trojan blood. I uh, had that uh, that mixed up for myself, and my whole family was up there. So met them over by Touchdown Jesus, and so uh, I was chugging uh, Trojan blood with my nephew who just turned twenty one back in May. So it, that that was a good time. That that was a that might have been a first. Actually, chugging the Trojan blood uh, with my godson, uh, so that was pretty slick. Light pull three. I mean, I had I had a pretty good time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Before I uh, headed up to the press box, just real quick, what was the what was the mood of the um, of the of the light pull three gang going into the game? Were they feeling pretty confident? Yeah, everybody. I mean, everybody seemed pretty upbeat. I mean, it was. Um, There's a lot to I, be upbeat about. I think, I mean, I think that's just the general feeling anymore right now. I mean, right. it wasn't, um, you know, this would have been like Georgia, you know, home, you know, like that would have been a home game. And this weekend, maybe that would have been a little different. Maybe it would have been a little more tense, but everyone seemed pretty loose, you know, pretty, I mean, it's, you know, Notre Dame USC is still a rivalry and look, SC still is extremely stupidly loaded with talent. So they're dangerous as fuck, right? I mean, they can still hurt you pretty bad. And so, you know, you have to have that in your mind. But I think just people are pretty comfortable where Notre Dame's sitting at right now. And, you know, it shows talking to them. Like, everyone's pretty confident Notre Dame was going to win that game. Yeah, I, I, I felt the same exact way. I mean, I think it's it's hard not to, to feel that way. Um, you know, I was talking to somebody at the gym today, and he's a he's a Penn State guy, and he was just like, he goes, hey man, I know how it is with rivals. You know, you just you're just happy to uh, survive sometimes, no matter what people are saying or odds makers are saying about you know what what the spread's supposed to be or how much you're supposed to win by. You know, those games. Uh, you know, I think Brad and I kind of talked about it, or maybe it was Greg and I. Uh, they're kind of throughout the records games. You know, everyone's going to bring their best, and uh, and I think that's what we saw from from USC was, um, you know, they had a they had a, a freshman quarterback who, who remained remarkably poised even under pressure, um, constant pressure. And uh, I was actually, I came away really impressed with a, with a couple players on their team um, that I wasn't 
that I wasn't uh, focusing on so much. I was I was hyper focused on the the wide receiver core because right, I thought they were right. going to be dangerous. Um, but it was more like Marquis Step, you know, breaking every tackle. Yeah, he was, he was back breathing the Indiana air. You know, he's back home. Yeah, he, uh, he back home again. <laughs> so I mean, he was he was feeling it, and uh, and I'll get to Step a little bit more here in a bit, but. Uh, he was definitely feeling it and running his ass off. But I I spoke about it right after the game. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be shocked, but I was a little surprised at how much everyone made a big deal about um, the temperature and SC. And it didn't phase them one bit. And I, I had said, you know, if this was a, you know, Florida State or Miami in this weather, th- this is where they wilt. And SC handled it really well. And even more so, coming out in the second half, you know, they were, they were down at a decent amount. They could have came out and, and, you know, just kind of wilted. Like I said, you know, with, with the way the temperature was dropping, uh, but they came out to fight and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but when you like Keaton Slovis never played in a game under 70 degrees in his life. So that's a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, and they showed to me, they showed no signs of, of having any kind of, difficulty adjusting to you know to any bit of that with the weather i think maybe if if michael young doesn't knock the ball out of his own hands uh, uh yeah. and their name goes up 24 to 3 i think maybe that's a different story i think that was a huge uh huge shift in the game of as far as you know could have gone one way or the other and uh man 24-3 would have been hard for them to hold on uh but yeah i i SC came in and they fought and fought and fought and fought. Um, and they have a, you know, a derelict uh, for a head coach. So uh, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give all those players nothing but props on that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you caught the icon for this week, but uh, Coach Kelly's halftime speech was talking about breaking their will. You know, it's at 17 to three. And, you know, certainly, like you said, with the Michael Young return, that could have been. Uh, you know, well, that was were, the will breaker, right? There. Yeah, that was that was the break your will moment or whatever. And and all credit to, to the Trojans, um, they did not have their will broken. And I think that um, you know, despite the the overwhelming evidence that Notre Dame was going to prevail in that game, it it still felt like, uh, oh my God, we're sweating out an onside kick again. Uh, and you know, I think it's important to remember how how few those a few times onside kicks really truly land. Uh, but I think Notre Dame fans can probably remember all the times that uh, guys have executed successfully executed an onside kick against uh, their team. You know, obviously uh, Virginia doing sort of a modified one a couple of weeks ago. So right. I, I get I get it I get the feeling, but um, you know Look, I, I, they, I rewrote they, they did not broke them. I wrote the recap the the quick recap for the game uh, three different times. So <laughs> <laughs> like in the in a matter of like the last final six minutes of the game. Um, obviously most of it was, you know, already written in stone, but, uh, just kind of like, you know, the score and the, and kind of like the feel and the end of it, um, certainly changed quite a bit. Um, you know, I was ecstatic Dante Vaughn batting that ball down and I didn't hear the whistle. Uh, Philip said he heard it or heard something. Uh, but I thought that was a little strange. I mean, I thought that was a, a hell of a play up for Dante Vaughn to not exist. Uh, yeah, either way, that's, uh, gives them, gives them some confidence, right? Moving forward. If, if, you know, in the chance that you need them. 
Yeah, I mean, again, talking about alternate realities, uh, you know, what if Michael Young, well, what if uh, Myron Tunga Bailo Amosa hits uh, Marquis Step and, and actually holds on to him? It's a two-yard loss uh, right. on that third down there or whatever. So it, it just it makes for a, for a more interesting, uh, you know, whatever. It's just, uh, yeah, it was definitely at 30 to 27. There was definitely a, a moment like, oh, my God, they're not going to find some weird way to get this in overtime, are they? Yeah. I just kind of found it. I found the whole. I thought the game was funny in in the sense of this, where SC was not, and Kelly spoke about this in the in the post game presser. You know, after that first you know long throw or the only long throw uh, to Claypool, uh-huh. basically SC just decided they were this they were going to allow that, and which freed up a lot of running room, right? And so Notre Dame will they gladly took it. And in the same sense, Notre Dame did the same thing <laughs> with USC. So they were, you know, you have these supposedly dynamic passing offenses, and it boiled down to the running. Like they both defenses basically had the same game plan in a sense of they were shutting the receivers down, and they're going to get they were going to, you know, let the other team run the ball and see where the chips lie. Notre Dame's offensive line played better than USC's offensive line. Notre Dame tackled better, and that was that really was the game. You know, I mean, if you if you really truly think about it, like it was throughout all the strategies and and play calling and all that. What boiled down to was Notre Dame executed better than SC in their game plan. Uh, yeah, absolutely agreed. It was just weird. It was weird to me because um, I, I track uh, success rate throughout the game, and I know some people don't really like this metric, but you know, it, it is a it is an efficiency metric, and um, Notre Dame was really struggling going into the half. They played a lot better in the second half. It just wasn't reflected on the scoreboard. But I think one of the 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 thing the one of the ways that we all felt it was that last uh, seven and a half minute drive. It was just it was pounding the ball, and it was consistent. Whether it was Tony Jones Jr. or Jameer Smith. Um, it was just always just moving forward, and um, it was just it was great. Yeah, we didn't have the, um, you know, we didn't have the fifty-yard touchdown throw to to Chase Claypool or anything like that. Um, and and they certainly took that shot a couple of times deep. But uh, I, I really enjoyed Tony Jones Jr.'s performance. I thought it was I thought it was amazing, and I, I was actually frankly a little surprised he didn't get the game ball. No, nothing taking nothing away from Jonathan Dorer, who who certainly deserved. Uh, all the accolades that he was given, but uh, I mean that's that's a that's a career uh, defining moment for Tony Jones Jr. That was a that was a great game. Yeah, and I probably the, probably the most to me I think the most important drive of the entire game wasn't uh, Ian Book's scramble for touchdown, uh, although extremely important and basically you know basically you look at it and say it was the, I you know the dagger right there, but that. That nine play, ninety-seven yard drive. It only took two minutes and thirty-two seconds. This wasn't a big pounder. It wasn't it wasn't like that book drive, which was fourteen plays, seventy-five yards, <clears throat> and almost seven minutes. But ninety-seven yards. I mean, Tony Jones Jr. had the big forty-three yard run, you know, on that drive. Right. But you know, there that was a pretty critical spot. You know, you're yes, you're. It's only three nothing, but you know. You went punt, punt, punt on your first three possessions. So, getting it, 
deep in your end zone. I mean, that, that was a time I think where Notre Dame fans were starting to freak out a little bit. Yep. You know, right. What, you know, right, so they're down inside the five. And I think Notre Dame fans of what, from what we saw, you know, I think it was the first three plays were six, you know, six or first three drives were six plays for 43 yards, three, three plays for two, and then six plays for 18. That's not very encouraging. <laughs> you know, uh, well, things, absolutely things, not. things were not they, going well. So, USC was uh, doing a great job flipping the field. So right, exactly. So taking that drive all the way across the field, uh, I think that did a ton for Notre Dame uh, and, and did a ton of, against SC. You know, like all right, you got to. They basically had a had SC had Notre Dame's backs against the wall, uh, literally and figuratively. Um, and they fought back. They fought through it. Got the touchdown um, and. You know, it was what, what was that? Cole Komet's touchdown was that what that was? Where basically, what? I thought he was going to lose his legs. Yeah, the nine yard uh, score yeah. there. Yeah. So I mean, that that was absolutely huge. That was enormous coming from where they were because it was not a good start for Notre Dame's offense at all. Right. Yeah, that was that was that was absolutely. You're right. That's you were. I agree with you that that was a huge <laughs> po- that was a huge point in the game. Um, you know, Dorr making that 52 yard field goal was su- such a, I mean, look, it's the game was 30 to 27 when, when they, when they walked him out there, I was thinking they're setting him up to fail. And I, I can't believe that they're doing this. And then I, I heard two pieces of information that I thought were really interesting. First was Dorr himself. He said, I don't concentrate on the yardage. I just treated every, every kick as a, as a PAT attempt, which I thought maybe this is just maybe I don't know enough, but I thought you had to kick the ball harder for a 52 yarder than you do for like a, a 20 yard PAT. I'll tell uh, you what, everybody, everybody that has watched door in practice and every report on door coming out of spring ball, fall camp or whatever. And they will, they will say that he kicks the ball the same. Like he, like what he's saying makes sense. Because they're saying it's like, like a machine, like it just is the, the leg, the follow through, everything about his kicks remains the same, whether it's 20, 34, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that totally, that totally makes what, sense that he has that mentality. Yeah. So the, the other thing that was interesting was during the, I think it was during the game, Kyle Brenza, who used to kick obviously for the Irish, uh, tweeted out, Kelly is building the confidence of Dora in this game by giving him the opportunity to make long kicks like that. He's making the right decision both for this game and for games down the road. Absolutely. I just thought that was really that was really interesting thinking about, you know, you get a guy who makes a 52-yard kick like he's he's got some he's got some swagger now. Well, like, yeah, I mean, think about the kicker's mentality. So, I mean, I I don't know if you listened to to Notre Dame's post game with Reggie Brooks after I anytime a kicker gets brought up, I I I just I can't stop chuckling <laughs> at how bad Reggie throws him under the bus. Yeah. You know, it's it's fantastic. But, you know, him talking about how kickers are just a different breed. They're a different kind of, you know, in the head. But so that makes it makes total sense what Burns has said. I mean, imagine yourself being a kicker and it's a 50 yard field goal. And you're thinking, man, I make like 20 of these in practice. You know what I mean? Right. Like think of how many times they kick in practice that, you know, they're going back to the 50 yard line or they're going back not the 50 yard, but a 50 yard field goal. They're, you know, they're trying them. And for a, co- a coach's decision, he wants the points, but a lot, in a lot of those cases, but a lot of times they will, 
punt or go for it, but maybe they shouldn't because they're, they're not so sure in their kicker. And so Brent is absolutely right. That shows a ton of confidence. Like, yep, we're just going to get off the field here. John, go in there and, and get us some points. And that I think that does send a huge message uh, to your kicker and to your team. Um, so, you know, when we're struggling down in Raleigh <laughs> and, you know, and it's for some odd reason, cause it's on the ACC network or whatever, uh, you know, when it, when it's a clutch kick, he's got all that confidence. Not only, not only him, but his team, you know, the body language of the team has got that confidence. They're not, he's not seeing them look at him like, ah, shit. You know, they're looking at him like, yeah, boy, go get it. So I, Brenza is absolutely on point on that with, with that comment. Cause that, that could be huge for them moving down the road. I mean, that, that could be what we need in our, in our, in our, blah. I can't even say Ann Arbor, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that damn place up there. Uh, you know, we may need him for that. Yeah. I just, I'm, <laughs> we've, we've talked about this, uh, at length and if you and I think if you go back to one of our earlier podcasts and you, and you asked me what my main concern was coming into the season I almost undoubtedly said special, special teams. teams I just yeah. I mean freshman punter uh, untested unproven kicker uh who had shaky practice reports I was I was I, I thought we were going to be back to the the days of Carl Joya you know I thought of every, you know just everything was going to be a a crapshoot in terms of are they going to even make extra points? And, and, and thankfully that has not been a, the case. I mean, think and, if, think if Michael Young didn't bat that ball out of his hands, think you could give this, you could give special teams for the night an a plus plus, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it, they've been that solid where your biggest concern and kick coverage isn't getting enough. You know, our coverage teams have been crap, right? Like last year, the pit game, for example, you know, that was the big reason why Pitt was in it. Hell, you get Michigan. That was a big reason why Michigan was even close in that game was because of a kick return touchdown. Notre Dame's, their kick coverage has been pretty good. They've had kind of the one hiccup, DJ Brown, who's not a, reappeared back to that spot on the outside <laughs> against Virginia. And, uh, yeah, it's been really incredible. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed Philip. I had, I didn't know he was going to do that, uh, write the, uh, the apology letter to Jonathan Doerr on the site. Uh, <laughs> uh, because I mean, he's right. I mean, we sat there in the, in, um, in the press room after the game saying every single person in this room was wrong about door. Right. I mean, every, there wasn't one person in this room who knew anything. I, I think Greg had a, a, a really nice tweet, uh, about how <laughs> I can't remember what stat he threw up and he's like, everybody that covers Notre Dame is absolute. It's crap. We're all wrong. So yeah, yeah it's, it was amazing. I think maybe the difference is we we more readily acknowledge our wrongness. Um, yeah, but uh, I have no you know, problem. I mean, it happens. It happens enough times. I get. I have a pretty good uh, reaction to being wrong. But yeah. yeah, I'm wrong. I mean, I tweeted about this too. But on Monday's uh, athletic podcast with Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna, Pete said, "If I told you after the Louisville game." That Asmar Bilal, Tony Jones Jr., and Jonathan Dora would be your th- your three difference makers against USC. What would you have said to me? No, you're a goddamn liar. Yeah, right. And uh, and he had the perfect he had the perfect response, which was, um, I think it's from Step Brothers, right? I-, I like you, but you're crazy, right? Yeah. Like 
I, I, like, Josh, I think you're a cool dude, but like, that's, that's, that's nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, what are you, what are you talking about, Jude? Like you're, that's, that's absolutely nuts. Right. So, um, I just, you know, at the, at the risk of puffing up Brad's, uh, ego anymore, because Brad was team as Marbalal since the beginning. I, I just have been the, the strides that have happened in just these five games have been amazing. Incredible. And I mean, he has and, SC, Dor- 11, 11 tackles, eight of them were solo had two tackles for loss. And more importantly, it wasn't just the tackle numbers. He was there, man. I mean, he he knew what just watching the confidence that he played with. And not only that, but like the knowledge, like like where he showed up at, how and how he was getting off of blocks, probably most importantly. I mean, shedding shedding blockers was not an Asmar Bilal trait. And he did a really, really good job Saturday night of doing just that to get himself in position to make a play. And was absolutely incredible. I mean, it looked like there's nothing that we had. We wasted so much damn time from spring, <laughs> from spring up until now. We wasted so much time on linebackers and corners and all that. We, we absolutely were stupid. I, I wonder how these coaches, uh, you know, they have to read some stuff, right? Sure. They had to just been chuckling to themselves a little bit, or maybe, I mean, maybe just something, the player, it just clicked. But it just seems like this is all falling well into place, especially yeah. on the defensive side. I mean, Clark Lee, evil is an evil genius. I, I don't remember who said it, uh, but somebody was definitely, you know, when, when I mentioned that, said something to the effect of, "That's why I never count out guys, you know, especially guys that were, um, you know, that were heavily recruited by other teams or whatever." Even if they haven't popped, like it, it's it's not like you could sit on the bench for four years and have an amazing fifth year. You know, I think the um, I think that even look at, look at even a guy like McKinley, who mm-hmm. granted, you know, didn't you know, he, I don't think he didn't have a catch uh, against SC, but but go back to the tape, watch him, watch McKinley blocking out there. I mean, honestly, he is he's kind of a beast. Uh, like he really does a great job. Uh, from that aspect. So, and he's got, listen, I think McKinley's got what, two years of eligibility left after this year. That's a guy that that's a guy that you could work with, especially with that much time left. I mean, that's, that's pretty, I don't know. I, you're absolutely right. That's why you don't completely, you know, sell out and, and count out guys. Right. Yeah. Now, I, I, McKinley's a great redemption story. I mean, there's a good profile to be written about him you know, if he comes back for another year and, and does well. So. And I, I mean, I Phil, Phil and I were laughing about this. I just keep saying, are we going to talk about Tony Jones? I mean, are we, <laughs> I mean, what I can't remember what the stat line was. What game was that when he had 131 yards? But I'm like, if you know, if this was, I was saying, if that was Dexter Williams, we would all be going Dex, this, Dex, this, Dex, this, you know, 176 about- yards. That is a lot of yards. And it wasn't just the yard. He averaged seven yards a freaking carry. Yeah. The, That's a good the, amount. And, you know, for a good portion of the game, he was averaging over 10 yards a carry. The the one thing I noticed, because I, I do a rewatch, and I, I specifically look for yards after contact. And, and by contact, I, I, I define it as the, the defender had a reasonable chance of taking down the runner, you know, whether he – 
it wasn't just a glancing hand on him. It was like a he had he had him in the grasp or he dove at him. You know what I mean? Like something that makes you think. And, and Tony Jones, like he bounced he bounced off people. Like my father texted me during the middle of the game and he said, you know, something effect of like, wow, the tackling really sucks tonight or whatever. And he was talking about Notre Dame's defense, and 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 it was right after Marquis Step had blown like five tackles, you right. know, blown off five guys, and he was just like chugging down the field or whatever. And I said to him man, that cuts both ways because USC looked like they could not bring down Tony Jones Jr. A lot of those plays. And um, that big 43 yard run all started off with, of Tony bouncing off of a one wannabe tackler. I mean, a straight head down breaking. I mean, this, it wasn't a cheap break. I mean, it was a all power, but I mean, it was like Tecmo bowl bounce off. Right. You know, and that, and then he took off for his 43 yards. It was, it's incredible. He, he looked like freaking Earl Campbell out there. He he had definitely had a play where he he broke three tackles and a play and one play. I mean that's a that's a lot. You know what I mean? And there was two on uh, on the one I think that you were just talking about. So it was uh, I was just I was I, look I've never I, if you if I have then call me out on it. But I don't believe I've ever said anything bad about Tony Jones. I just I didn't think he was going to be our feature back, and it was amazing to me how. Jafar Armstrong was totally not a factor, and that was okay. You know, they ran him out there. He didn't look good. Uh, he looked and real tentative. I think Samson, his, Samson mentioned that he didn't look good at all, like, on Thursday. Right. Uh, but he I mean, he mentioned that in his post-game uh, podcast with Fortuna. But he had said that on Thursday, uh, you know, coaches, he just did not look good in practice at all. Right. So – Again, another two weeks for Armstrong to rest up, and hopefully you have him for you know, 15, 20 plays versus Michigan or more. Um, you know, I think they were hoping for 15, 20 plays in this game, and they got about, I don't know, I think, to, you know five to ten maybe. And you know, I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up or not. And, but I think you know, uh, getting Jafar back, and I think Tony's got to have incredible confidence right now. I mean, he's really been out there ripping it. So you get if you get a two back, I mean go too tight two back uh, with Tony and Jeff. I think they they really have something. Look, Chip Long wants to run the football. He really wants to be able to do a lot on the ground. And I think with you know Jafar, you know a healthy Jafar coming in there and tag teaming with Tony a little bit, I think I think Notre Dame could be even more dynamic um, running the ball. I can think they can be as dynamic running the ball as they were in 2015 and 2017. I, I just think that they could be, they could reach that level right now. Um, you know, I, and look, let's get some touchdowns for Tony. All right. <laughs> Dear Chip Long, uh, two games in a row uh, over, I mean, he's got what, 300 yards basically in, in the last two games, uh, zero touchdowns. Come on. Let's, let's hook a guy up. You know? I mean, did you believe? Uh, I didn't. I, I guess I thought it was Chase Claypool and then everybody else in terms of who was going to get the who was going to get the ball this year. And and I think I said this in, in one of the other podcasts that you weren't on, but I was very much like when Cole Komet got injured, it was like, okay, well, we still got Brock Wright, and you know, I'm curious about this Tommy Tremble guy or whatever. I really didn't think it was that big of a deal, and it's a huge like. He is an absolute safety valve for Ian Book. Ian Book like looks for him. He's dependable. He tends to be open. Um, he's 
there there are definitely he's definitely a main go-to guy for for Ian Book and I I've just been really uh pleasantly surprised by how great Cole Komet looks out there. Yeah, I mean he was targeted six times, six receptions, 61 yards and a touchdown. I mean that that's your tight end right there. That's an all-American style tight end. I mean tight ends are not going to get 115 120 yards receiving each game, right? No. It's just not how they're functioning. But if you if you average it out to like what Cole did against SC, six for six, six sixty-one yards, uh in a touchdown, that's perfect. That's what your tight end does. And he look, that guy's a monster. After the um oh it must have been after the bowling green game, I was I was standing next to him, and that was really the first time I had I stood next to Komet, you know, in person. Mm-hmm. And my mouth was almost on the ground. He is such a physical specimen. I mean, he re- he, do- he does remind me a lot of Troy Nicholas. Like, just like the sheer size of him is incredible. Um, and I then I thought of myself being in the batter's box while Komet's trying to <laughs> shove a fastball down my throat. I didn't like the thought of that idea either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in the four games since Komet's been back, 29 targets for Chase Claypool, 25 for Cole Komet. I, I I just I you know he's come on in in a, in a big way and and it's just amazing to think that I mean I don't think at this point he's going to pass Claypool because Claypool had so many um, before he got before Komet got going but no uh, and there'll be there'll be ebbs and flows right yeah. throughout the rest of the season and I I mean look Claypool is still the top dog uh, but te- but because he's the top dog and there's been less around him I mean at, at the wide receiver level that has rose up it's not like Fink's really blowing the doors out of anybody. Michael Young's just getting back. I mean, he had two receptions for four yards. Michael Young did. I mean, he, yeah, he, was, was, a non, he was a non he was a factor. Burger. Yeah. yeah, he was a non factor out there. Although so, he, a book hit him deep uh, that it was a pass that actually ended up out of bounds. But yeah, he, had a, yeah. he had a nice, like, 20 yard kind of like play down. It would have been down to the three yard line if you could kept it in bounds. But book just threw him out of bounds. It wasn't Young's fault. So. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it was, but it's, Claypool's the guy, right? That they're keying in on. That's who they're bra- I mean, that's who S- they were bracketing him all night. I mean, they're he was getting double covered pretty much the entire time. So they were not going to let Claypool, you know, beat him. And he, I mean, he still managed 47 yards. He averaged 15 a catch. So uh I mean it, it is what it is what it is, right? I mean, he only got five targets. It, this was not a good passing game from from Ian Book. It, j- it just wasn't. Um, it wasn't, but I do it, want to point out that there were, there must've been at least three drops, right? Right. And look, I was, I was what I was going to say too, was it's not, it wasn't terrible though. Just because it wasn't great. Doesn't mean it was bad. It, it was what it was. I, you know, I think a couple of those drops, I mean, some of that's on the quarterback though. I mean, just, yes, if it hits a guy in the hands, they need to catch it. But sometimes that boils down to how did the quarterback get it to him or, yeah, I mean, there's things that go on there that, that, that can yeah. that can cause a incompletion from the quarterback, even if it's hitting the guy. So yeah, I had I had four four drops. Uh, one where he threw the behind uh, Tommy Tremble. That was the pass that was like a pass defense that looked like maybe Tremble had dropped it, but it was right. actually the guy went in and batted it or whatever. Um, I had an under underthrown screen pass to uh, Jafar Armstrong. Just they do not look comfortable setting up the screen. Uh, that's that's been a thing for a couple of games now. 
to me, it feels like it's been a thing for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> like like yeah. the screen like the screens are a mystery to me. Do you remember Brandon Wimbush had trouble with setting up the screens too, Screen? right? Yeah. I just uh, I guess at this point, why are you even running them? I mean, if they're not they're they're literally not going to do anything for you. Whether and it's been a mixed bag too. It's not just the receiver's fault or book's fault. The offensive lines like, you know, what was that against Louisville when you and I were like going to rip through this mm-hmm. <laughs> Aaron Banks out there just letting a guy cross his face? I mean, it just, it just, the screens have not set up well. They're not working. I don't, to me, it feels like a wasted play. So, speaking of plays, I wanted to ask you 80 plays for Notre Dame on Saturday night, right? 80 total plays. That's like 20 plays over their average, right? Right, right. Like they're averaging right around 60. Yep. So you, I got a, what? I got a couple of theories about that, right? Okay, yeah. So what, I one hear. of them is USC didn't commit a turnover. So a lot of the times that Notre Dame was having these shorter games, it was because they were having shorter fields, you know. So um, they turn they turn a Virginia over, and two plays later they would score. You so know. Before and, you go on, so we could say that we we could say really that Notre Dame the total play number for Notre Dame this year has been kind of a phantom number. Because of how I mean, they were ranked what number one in turnover, turnover differential, right? Uh, in the country, if so they're not number that, one, they're they're definitely up there. Yeah, right. So I mean, you're right. That, that plays a huge, huge part in it. I I honestly think that's what it was. I think there was <laughs> USC wasn't giving them anything where it was like they had a big kickoff return or a big punt return or. Uh, an interception left them at midfield or, you know, so, something stupid. So, right. I mean, Notre um, Dame ran the ball too, 48 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to get, I mean, I, I guess maybe it kind of evens out. I mean, the clock's running on a, you know, on a, after you run the ball as opposed to like an incompletion. But still, it, it seems like there's, your drives are longer, right? They, they take longer uh, and there's more plays when you're running the ball uh, as opposed, you know, to throwing uh, every other down. So, uh, I mean, 48 rush attempts is quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And then you had what, uh, six, like I'm, I'm counting here, six chunk plays. They were all passes. So, or, well, six, no, I six, mean, six, six, like, well, maybe more than that because no, the runs. Yeah, there was, uh, well, Jones's, uh, 43 yard run. And then, right. uh, we, I mean, Braden Lindsay turned on oh, the, that jets. was sweet. That was fun. Wow. That's, uh, I got, I won't say who it was. But there was a certain um, there was there was a reporter. Uh, I talked to him on the field after the game, and uh, I won't say who it is. And we were talking about Lindsey, and the guy went off, like, <laughs> like yeah, no shit, give him. I mean, was like visibly kind of pissed. Like this is what we this is what we all think that he can do. Why you know why is another name putting the ball in his hands more? Well, it's not that simple, right? I don't know. Maybe it is. I mean, Lindsay said after the game. I'm in that boat. Look, I'm not. I'm not a guy that that pushes the whole freshman speed thing. Like there, there's a certain set of fans that just because of star ranking or a or perceived forty time, they're going off about playing the front and all this stuff. And I, I usually beat that back because I find that to be a bunch of nonsense. Mostly, at the same time, you can look across the country. 
and good teams, bad teams, mediocre teams. And there's a lot of them. When they get a player like Lindsey, they will find ways regardless to get two or three touches for him to get through, get the ball in his hands two or three times a game because no one with that speed, what he can do. Right. And Notre Dame just doesn't, to me, I feel they have not tried to do that up to this point. And I mean, Notre Dame does a lot of things oddly different than, than what you would expect. So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but yeah, I think this, I think Lindsay is one of those guys that regardless of everything else about him, he's got jets find a way two or three times a, a game, not in junk time, but in real time for him to get his hands on the football and see what happens. Right. Well, Lindsay said after the game, I think this was on the icon too. He said something to the effect of, I, th- I thought 89 was going to get me because if you remember, there was a guy who had, Oh yeah. He, suit on. He, he did a little, he did a little whip back. He did a little, a little juke step, little hook, right? Little hook. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's what actually, actually sprung him. So, I give the kid all the credit in the world. I do remember a pass, however, that was thrown to him that he, that hit him right in the hands that he dropped. So no, I get it. I get you know, it. Some of it is you make your own opportunity, right? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I mean, I kind of put that on Chip Long to figure out a way to make it easier for him to get the ball in his hands. So you, I mean, if, I, they could, you, if they could run a damn screen properly, they could do <laughs> Well, and, I, and how about that play that they've been doing with Fink, which is it's it's been counting as a pass because Book just throws it forward like two feet, right. but like, that it starts off as like kind of a, a three yards behind the line of scrimmage toss. Which was and almost then... what, I mean, it was, and it, Kelly explained it in great detail after the game um, with the Lindsay play, and it, which is, it was a lot like what they were doing, what they do with those, uh, with those shovels, you know, where they're, where they're pulling guard and tackle opposite way, uh, you know, and freeing up the guy going on the other side. They, they do a lot of that same um, motion with players towards the opposite way on that shovel pass too. So it's a lot of the same concepts, you know, just misdirection, you know, getting a ball, getting the ball in the hands of someone with, with jets and letting them go. Right. So that seems like a pretty easy way. Like it's, it's a lot easier to catch a, a one yard shovel pass, right? <laughs> I, I would imagine so. And he's already got ahead of Steve. I mean, a lot, I don't know. I just, I am on. I am on that boat right now. Like, fuck. Okay. It. All the, everything else. Forget what. Forget what you think. If he's got jets. Figure out a way to get him the ball two or three times a game and see what happens. I mean, it's to me, it's better than a. It just a. It's a. At least it shows me that you're trying to be more dynamic. Right. I I had a real big issue with the offense, and in a in a sense of. I wasn't exactly sure what Chip Long was trying to do. Uh, there was just some real head scratchers um, going throughout the game. Um, and I, I just couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. And I still can't put my finger on it. I wa- watching the game again, exactly what, what he was trying to do. Um, why they, you know, were they doing it to, for setups? Uh, but things just seemed out of sync. And I, Eric Hansen might have, I think he expressed it a lot more eloquently. I can't even say the damn word. Eloquently. He expressed it quite a bit better than I did uh, on their podcast on the with w, WSBT today. Okay. And it something just is off there, and it's so it's kind of a, Notre Dame's offense is you know scoring pretty. They're almost thirty nine points a game and all this stuff, but there's 
something about it that just seems off. And I can't put my finger on, you know, is it really book? Is it, is it the receivers running routes? Is it the lack of Jafar Armstrong? I mean, something's amiss there, but yet they're still doing pretty well. I mean, so that's, so that is what it is. I just, the play, some of the play calling, I just can't quite figure out. Now, I, and I know a lot of Notre Dame fans were like really loud in their, in their criticism for, for all that, uh, which I re- Samson had talked about uh, how much that confused him. He thought this was one of the better called pl- games for Chip Long, and I don't find that true at all either. <laughs> um, they, I don't know. I, I not sure what they're. I'm still. I'm not sure what they're trying to do out there. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's so confusing to us that it's confusing to the professionals on the other side of the field. <laughs> um, I. Y- you know, I I thought the second half play calling was better than the first half, even though they didn't score as as many points, which is weird. It's weird to think about. Um, I I guess I didn't I didn't think it was I wasn't in the like oh that was that was great. I I thought it was a, I was in the perfectly fine category. Oh, that was perfectly fine. Like I don't think I don't think if we had lost if we if the Irish had lost that game, I, I don't think it's I don't think that I'm second guessing Chip Long. Uh, play calling as much um, you know they're just Ian Book just doesn't seem like he's totally where we th- we all thought he would be and, and you know this is a weird thing to complain about it's a very weird thing to complain about um, you know I think it was Pete Sampson who's pointed out the fact that this is the best 30 game stretch for the for Notre Dame fans since Absolutely. 91 to 93 so you got to be pretty old I mean you got to be as old as us to, uh, yeah, to appreciate I'm something like I am 41 like years old yeah. And I so I, I I remember the '88 season to a point, uh, but really it's you know when you start stepping into the to the '91, uh, yeah, '93 season when I when I you know kind of a a little man, anyways. Uh, so I wasn't ten years old like I was in '88, but I was but yeah, absolutely. This is this is incredible. This stretch that they're having. So it's it, it feels weird to be angry or constantly annoyed or or com- constantly complaining about well, isn't that the, isn't not that the, meeting expectations you know what i mean isn't that the whole brian kelly era i mean honestly i mean th- th- that is the perfect uh analogy to the whole brian kelly era i mean i think it, it's fan we really, we, we really should be complaining uh you know a whole lot you look you look, go back and look at some of these great seasons we've had since kelly's been here and yet I mean, I don't know what the exact percentage is. I mean, because I don't think that's be a hard thing to figure out. But saying half the fan base wouldn't mind if he got fired tomorrow, I think it's a pretty accurate. I think that's pretty accurate. I don't think. It, I don't. I don't think that makes numbers, no sense to me. I don't, I mean, think, guy, I don't think that number is that high. Okay. I think that, I think that okay. number is like twelve and a half percent. That's where I think that number is. You, I think. I don't know. I I have a. I run into a lot of. I mean, just a lot of randos, and. It's funny, like the, how many there are that are fairly negative still on them, and I'm thinking, you know, this we're doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I I understand the whole national championship thing being king. I I, I get it, but but you know, have you forgotten just ten years ago when yeah. we were totally psyched about yeah. winning the the Hawaii Bowl to get a nine year bowl losing streak off? I of wouldn't our say back. psyched, but at least we were breathing a. Dude, psych. I was so psyched. I don't know. I mean, we I got it I off our backs. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, to me, it's surprising. And it, look, 
in anything, right? A relationship, someone for so many years, whether it be a boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, after like, you know, 10 years or so, there's things that piss you off about the, what the other person does. So there's, you know, there's definitely quirks and things about Kelly and there's things in his past at Notre Dame that a lot of people can point to and be upset with. And I get it. I'm not trying to talk. I'm not trying to tell those people that they're wrong in their assessment of that. But at the same time, I'm looking at where we where we're sitting at from after the 2016 season to now. It's pretty damn good. I mean, well, and that's the thing is if you can't enjoy five and one going into the bye week um, with a possible look at 11 and one or 10 and two to finish off the season um, with, you know, coming on the heels of 12 and one. I just think 10 and two would be a gigantic disappointment right now. And I think before the season, I would have, I would have bought 10 and two. I, I predicted 11 and one. And, but you would have said, you know, Hey, I got 10 and two on sale for 1999 here with your coupon code. I would have bought it. But I think now I think I, that to me, that would feel like a huge disappointment. Well, I think the other thing too, is like who you lose to, right? You don't want to lose to Michigan at this point, just because there's just right. there's, then, too, there's too much emotion. So you lose to him after that. Maybe there's too, there's too much emotion, emotional baggage, you know, tied up in in uh, in, in Michigan, right? So right. I mean, that, that, it's a trade off, right? Like if, if there has to be a second loss, you know, who is it? With Michigan, right? You you just don't want that hanging over your head. But then you look at the rest of the schedule. I mean, is Virginia Tech like? Would that be like the best received loss for fans? <laughs> You know, it, you wouldn't be losing to BC, losing to Stanford again on the road to keep that streak alive, or okay. Navy for all Navy, that God things. forbid, right? Or Duke, Duke, uh, who owns Notre Dame right now all time. Woo! <laughs> so, you know, I I don't know. I did so. Uh, having said that, that's why I'm saying ten and two just fit, would feel like a huge disappointment right now. Right, right. And yet, well, and yet. Ten and two also makes Notre Dame a double-digit winner for three years in a row, which is the first time since uh, 91, 92, 93. So that's pretty damn good in itself. And it just makes you continually wonder about how they could have managed to go four and eight. I mean, that team was just so dysfunctional and so loaded with and talent. So loaded with talent, yeah. I mean, it really—they I mean, lost a lot and had a lot. I got to I talk mean, to somebody today about Jerron Jones. And just remembering how much of a beast he was. He was the best one, player on the field down in Tallahassee. Best yes, player on the field. In 2014. But I was talking about 2016, which is the game against Miami, where he had seven tackles, oh, yeah. six for a loss. I mean, like, the guy was eating lunch in the backfield. And it, but that was, uh, like, the only game he showed up in. It was, the, it was the only game. And then, remember, he was, like, shutting it down because he didn't want to play against Navy. And it was, like, this whole big to-do or whatever. Um, and it just, it was just a, the epitome of the 2016 season. But the reason we were talking about Jerron Jones today was the XFL had its draft and he was the right. sixth overall offensive lineman taken, which I think a lot of Notre Dame fans are surprised when they hear offensive lineman, but they moved to offensive line and actually been, yeah, for three years, that's been his, actually his position. The giants moved him there. The Cowboys, these are all practice squad. He's never actually appeared in an NFL game, but the Cowboys, Buccaneers, uh, Buffalo Bills, uh, I, there's there's like 10 teams. Seahawks he was on. I mean, he's got that guy must have jerseys from almost every team at this point. Um, <laughs> and now it's the uh, New York Guardians of the XFL he's going to be on uh, their team or whatever. So 
but it just um, just good memories of Jerron Jones and and but but also very fleeting memories of Jerron Jones. You know, it was it was weird. So yeah, it was, it was very like I want I want to say quite flash in the pan, but it was like here's a game where he dominated, and then here's four games where he was nowhere, and then here's a game where he dominated. I mean, yeah, when Jerron Jones took over a game, you fucking knew it. And now that, but I mean, I'm not sure how many block kicks he had in his career, but it was a lot. Right. Like it was quite a bit of block kicks. I mean, uh, that, I mean, that was like one of the things on him. Like if there was a note for a broadcaster with Jerron Jones, they'd probably have how many block kicks he's had. Cause that yeah. was the thing like he could do. And now fast forward to 2019 and we got his younger brother, Jameer with sacks and three consecutive games. Like who would have ever called that in a, in a year that he was supposed to have took a red shirt. Right. Uh, I mean, so that, he was, that was another name I had written down like several times Saturday night and mainly for, mainly for play on the field, but also just like, to, you know, my notes of like guys I need to like focus more on, you know, in, in the broader picture of things. God, he's been good. I mean, he has been really, really good. And, you know, Notre Dame is deep, was deep at defensive end beginning of the season as it was. But it just, there is just, it's just, it's so much more than I, than I think that we even thought, right? Like even, even with, you know, kind of Aquara not having quite the season we thought, like their defensive ends have just been incredible. There should have been like nine holding calls on the guy playing Khalid Kareem. Uh, that was that was ridiculous Saturday night. Did you see that on his Instagram? He actually uh, like tweeted a video of himself basically taking down Khalid Kareem. Like that was somehow an achievement or whatever. It was like, dude, they they. I mean, it's the refs of the refs, but like they would nine times out of ten they call that they call that holding. You yeah. know, the refs. <laughs> you want to talk about the refs? Because that shit was incredible Saturday night. Those first of all, let me set this up for you, Jude. So the the halftime fight, yeah, brawl, whatever you want to call it. Unfortunately, I was like trying to like cheat and get to the food line first. Uh. So I, I did like a kind of like a quick turn back, and uh, was just so enamored. I unfortunately I did not. I didn't take footage. Enough people did. Yeah, um, yeah, we got but that. But I, I kept looking up at the TV monitor, wondering if they were going to show any of this on. On NBC, and of course they did not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so let me ask you this real quick before I move, before I go go deeper into it. Did they show any of that on NBC after the? Um, yeah, the fight. The, yeah, they showed it twice. Okay, okay, yeah. Because I, I couldn't believe they went to break and, with that. And Tariko made mention of the fact that the, <laughs> that the ref called the, the USC UCLA, yeah. but we didn't we didn't see that live either. Now, let me tell you how, dude. That was the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. So when they said, you know, personal foul ball team, Notre Dame, UCLA, the press box freaking lit up. I mean, that was as loud as I've heard it in a press box. Honest to God, it was, and and there's been some times where there's been some good jokes crap by, I mean, Birch would crack a good joke and we'd, we'd have a good time laughing. That right there was a single moment where everyone just lost their shit. It was that, the timing of it, who the opponent, I mean, everything about it was perfect. And all the SC people were sitting behind me, not a sound out of them. <laughs> Just kind of like a, uh, you can hear the little, a little bit of bitching here and there coming out of their mouths. But 
Right. Oh, it was I, that was absolutely that, that was the best part of the game for me. Because then later on, when we went down on the field, I didn't know that since then that Notre Dame, the stadium, they were been chanting UCLA. Uh, the fans were. So, yeah, they didn't. They didn't make that clear on the the NBC broadcast, but I was reading that on Twitter. The oh the people yeah, that dude, were it, attending. It was pretty hardcore. Like that's that's great. That that's is a, a solid. That, that is, is such a, a good troll. Solid burns you could yeah. put on put out there. Thanks to the Pac-12 refs. Yeah, and the whole Brian Kelly thing. God, man, that was. That was incredible. I mean, really, what if that ball would have gotten it? Kelly? <laughs> he said he would have took off with it. I I don't know that I can. I I don't know that I can get into the headspace that would that would be having himself get called a penalty on that, and and they're doing a re-kick or whatever they would have done. See, and the thing some, is, it wouldn't have been a re-kick. It would have been a fifteen-yard personal foul. That's it. No okay. re-kick. So, but and on top of that, all the the thing is usually and. Kelly's right on that. He's trying to call a timeout. Right. And generally, if a, if a ref sees that, sees them just on the field, they're going to throw a flag and then just then they say it was a timeout called. Right. You'll come over and say something to him. And they'll say, I'm fucking calling a timeout here. I'm not. And they'll be like, oh, and, you know, and give it to him. That's generally how it works. Not Pac-12 refs. I mean, who are have been under the microscope for what? The better part of a decade now anyways. Sure. It, it was... It was an extremely awful officiating game. And another one of those that it, both sides had plenty to complain about uh, with the refs. I mean, ridiculous. So, I mean, but it just. See, I was thinking of a, a circumstance where they notice Kelly on the field after the ball has been kicked, but before it's fielded, before it's fielded or, and like there's a play made on it or whatever. And they're like blowing the play dead. Uh, because he's on the field, and then there's a re-kick, and we know that because we saw the play finish, quote-unquote, we saw Brock Wright cover it, and all of a sudden the second kick is like, for some reason, disaster, right? And again, the, UCLA still had to go... Uh, UCLA. Ah! <laughs> uh, oops! I mean, seriously, how good was that video of Katie Byers coming out oh, of the tunnel, yeah. throwing down... Throwing down the V. The fight on. Uh, fight, down, fight down. I, that, I'm going to scream. What is, it, fight, is it fight off or fight down? I don't even know. Like, what, what's, the, what's the opposite of fight I, on? I fight off, said, I, I think guess. saying fight off. Because that would be the opposite of fight on, right? Which kind of sounds like a, a fuck off, right? So. Yeah, that's going to be, that's gonna be the, uh, the image for, the pod, for this podcast on the site. I'm going to screenshot Katie doing that. Who's an inc- Let's, I sent her an uh, Instagram message a couple weeks ago. You know, Katie Myers does not get the credit that like a Macashore gets, and yet her work is absolutely incredible. And the mo- one of the more iconic images of the last few years, you know, BK Homeboy, that's Katie Myers. Sure. She, she th- th- this is what she does. Uh, so, you know, I know a lot of people are into Macashore, and God bless him, he does great work. But Katie is in there, and she she is absolutely put her stamp at, uh, you know, she's her imprint on Notre Dame and her time there. And I think, I think she is from UCLA. I think she I, graduated from UCLA. And there's another UCLA or two, the social, uh, oh, what's her name? Well, Megan Bastido went to UCLA after Notre Dame, but oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's who you're talking about. There's, her name's Riley Feynman or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. yeah. Dolly yeah, Duffy's she, daughter. 
Yeah, she's a she's a UCLA grad, I think, because really? she's the, she's in their social media. Because there was something that came up over the summer, and someone jokingly said, someone jokingly said to me something about <laughs> go apply. I'm like, yeah, you know, for a twenty eight thousand dollar a year job, okay. And and I kind of chuckled about it, and then like a week later, I uh, seen a name come up, and that she was a UCLA grad. <laughs> I said, oh, some or she maybe. Maybe she wasn't a UCLA grad. Maybe she was at UCLA uh, working for them first. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know the bios on all these people. I was going to say, it's it's not Riley because Look, Riley is a St. Mary's, Mary's College yeah. graduate and also an IU South Bend gra- uh, business school graduate scale. Yeah, like half the programs at Notre Dame are just full of like the support staff at, uh, at for the football team. It's like it's like half. That's what half the program is. I'll have to look that up to find exactly, but I I think she can. Either way, there's a, some there are some UCLA ties, so this was extra sweet for those for those people. Oh, absolutely! I, look, it's look you you have a shared uh, mutual, and we and we talked about this a little bit today uh, on Twitter about um, these these uh, two uh, sociology professors who are trying to define rivalries between college football teams, right? And um, Notre Dame's greatest rival, according to their fans, their self-identified fans, is USC. And USC's greatest rival is Notre Dame, but UCLA is a close second, right? And so it's kind of interesting that uh, you ask a a USC fan, hey, who's your your number one rival? I think if somebody said, well, it's it's UCLA, I don't think anybody would think twice about that. Um, But the way that these guys have... have, have studied this they actually found that that uh, Notre Dame was was the USC's top rival which is great because there's a mutual one-to-one there right Absolutely. we're their we're their top rival they're our top rival uh where it gets funny to me is that BC Boston College's top rival is Notre Dame and Notre Dame uh fans put uh, Boston College all the way down at sixth so yeah so, I mean I mean, like, who, who thinks about, first of all, as somebody mentioned on Twitter today, and I'm sorry that I'm not naming names, but you all know who you are. Uh, you know, a rivalry that only spans 24 games and it started in 1975, like, that doesn't strike me as the, the keynotes to a rivalry. In our no, so, no. Um, and, so, and so not, even a, USC not even one that had a lasting, the long, like, like, even in, like, in 74, Notre Dame wasn't playing BC regularly until the 90s. Right, right. And so, so Notre Dame fans have SC first, Michigan second, which is about half of SC's, um, they call them rival, rival points or whatever. Um, and then a fourth, of, a fourth of Michigan's points is Michigan State. And then we get way down. United States Naval Academy, Stanford University, and Boston College coming in just above Purdue. <laughs> and my, like, I mean, my, I guess my three would be – and it, I, I can't allow myself to go on a rant, uh, but, <laughs> but but number one would be USC, but number two for me forever, and you guys can shout me down if you want, but it was Michigan State. Look, we've played that we played them forever, and they were look. Michigan State was a tough series for a long time, even with even when you went on a streak, those were tough games, and then it was a different kind of streak when Notre Dame was getting beat by Michigan State like eight straight years yeah. recently. You know, I mean, t- that was a huge, to me, that was a big rivalry. Great trophy, too, by the way, the megaphone. And then, I, then I, w- I mean, I would absolutely have to put Michigan 
I'm not one of those people that said they're not a rival. I mean, I may have said that here and there, but you know, if you really think about it, you know, I've been alive since August of 1978. When did Notre Dame and Michigan start? When did they pick up their series? You know, to to full on was in 1978. 1978, yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, going stretch back all you know all the years 1800, yada yada yada. But it was starting to become a regular game starting in 78. So for my entire life, Michigan, who has just so happened to be the first or second game for Notre Dame, every, you know, most years. Sure. That's and it's a big game, right? It's a that's a telltale for the season. A lot of times, Michigan was huge for me. I just I had a I have a special kind of hate for state um, that I and it's fine, you know. Most people would have. I won't argue anyone if they have USC one, Michigan two. I get that. That's fine. Right. Right. I, I don't. I no hate in your heart for it from me for you. But for me, it's Michigan State second. Got Jack put them on the fucking schedule. Quit fucking around with New Mexico and BG in the same year at home. <laughs> God, what a crock of shit. Um, but you know, just wait. But Michigan, I mean, there's just straight hate there. And then, then that's, I mean, that's going away too. I mean, that's going to be here or there for you know, for ho- however long they decided to be here or there. So I mean, it's um, USC, right? I went to I went to college from '98 to 2002. The game I actually look forward to, uh, Michigan, obviously USC, fine. Uh, game I actually really look forward to is Purdue because Purdue was like genuinely good. Those were the Drew Brees era, and and um, it was always a really good game. It was it was a really good game? You were in school. The uh, the game Purdue came up and uh, Tony Driver, Stubblefield doing the uh, the choo choo. <laughs> uh, you know, what, you, you know what, what I'm talking about, right? What, yeah, what you know it. I I don't know what that, that was. 2001. Hold on, I'm trying to look it up real quick. This is great radio, but yeah, I, well, no, they because they play it. It was a Notre Dame uh, in even years, right? Right in even years, yeah. Yeah, so it, I, it either had to be 2000 or 2002. I can't. I can't yeah. find it real quick. Sorry. Ask a Purdue fan; they'll tell you because it was the only only moment they got. <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, now that, now that we've like are fully like entrenched like in our ACC partnership, right? Especially, I mean, now that we're moving away, I do have like I do have some mixed feelings and and kind of I won't say regrets, but kind of like. Uh, you know, I kind of miss, I mean, look, I, I've said it a hundred times already, playing Bowling Green in New Mexico in the first fucking month of the season just is not my cup of tea. Sure. To have those two games and Navy be three of your home games is ridiculous to me. It's an insult to season ticket holders. So, I mean, do we really get rid of Purdue every year for New Mexico or Michigan State? every? I just, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, Purdue's a team you should beat regularly anyways, right? But at least it's still Purdue. At least there's just a little something there. It's, it's boring as hell game, right? We could have fun with making fun of Purdue. I, I don't have a whole lot of fun making fun of New Mexico. I just don't care. BG, I don't care. Right, I get it. You've got to just... have one of those games. You know, don't get me wrong. You've got to have some cupcake game. you got to have some cupcakes on your schedule for, for sure. Some, like, absolute cupcakes. But not two of them in the same month with Navy at the end of the – I mean – on all at home, it just makes no sense to me. I miss, yeah, I'll say it. I kind of miss Purdue. I definitely miss miss Michigan State. Well, 
Purdue's definitely coming back, and they're going to come back for several years in a row. So they're they're definitely on the future schedule. And I'm going to tie this all in. So speaking those two games in, in specifically, Michigan State, Purdue, there are, and even BC, there are rivalry trophies. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous as much as many of you may think they are. Do they you, mean do you, something? I'm they sorry. Mean something to me. I went on a very well thought out rant, which is unlike me, uh, <laughs> last week about about the Jewel Chalele. Right. And I just, I guess, I, I still don't fucking get it. Like that is what Notre Dame sold to, like through its social media, through its media arm, the Jewel Chalele. It's like the first thing you see. With Kelly talking about how important. Why are they not bringing this thing out to the field? What is your freaking point? What is holding this thing up? I just I don't get it. Make it if make it a part of it or take it away. Like don't throw that in fans' faces like it means something when it when it obviously doesn't mean enough for you to bring it out. I you gotta they gotta quit thinking about what how it used to be. And start thinking about how they can make things better. And I just think that's part of it. I just think having if having Bo Bauer hold that thing and swinging it wild as fuck in front of the student body after beating SC, that's great. That's great PR, first of all. That's, that's a great photo photo op. But it's just, it's just something to, it's something else to rally about. It's something, it's one less thing that Notre Dame has to do differently than everybody else to make them so oddly different not cool different oddly different and if the excuse was you had all these rivalry trophies you can't bring out i never understood what it's still sc it's your main rival right this this ain't the rest of them but now that you're not playing anybody this is the one right this is the one that you're still playing for every year well in stanford but i mean i agree with you i agree with you i'd like to see it out there too is it possible that Notre Dame is worried about some sort of disrespect of the of the of the rivalry trophy. I'm thinking about s- the Spartans planting their flag in midfield. Yeah, you know I'm, what I mean. Like Spartans planted a flag in our midfield. That's what I'm talking about. Which is like if you have to hand if they if their expectation is that they get the megaphone right away, are they running around like idiots with this megaphone? That's I don't fifty it, years it, old. If, if that's their and, reason. Then they're a bunch of wusses, because yeah, I mean, this is that—that's the stakes. That's well, stupid. That is I, being how I, fucking scared and insecure do you have to be to be worried about that? You're getting that is the dumbest thing I have ever. Hold on a second. You're, get, you're getting worked. You're getting worked up. First of all, I agree with you. Second of all, they are wusses. This this the reason that they don't bring it out is because they're risk averse. They don't want Carson Palmer waving the fucking shillelagh over yet, his head while leaving the you're, field. So you're content. To have the fucking main image of the Jewel Chalele, this thing that Brian Kelly talks about all the goddamn time, you're content with the main image on the internet being of Carson Palmer hoisting that thing. Yeah, they don't. I caught a lot that. of shit from people about putting that image up as my lead image on an article, but that that's my point. They don't care. They don't care about that. I know. I I, I just don't get it. Like, if that's your re- if that's their reason, then I have lost a lot of respect. For whoever's making that decision, name the person that keeps saying no. Jack Swarbrick. Then I lost. <laughs> then I lose respect for him for all that for sure. Because come on, I mean, that's, Jack's, the, that's so silly. That is Jack. Jack is the one who's completely the opposite of what college 
football Jack, is supposed to be. Wait a second. Jack is the one who, and we haven't had this problem in two years, right? But Jack is the one who decided that the, the team would run in instead of staying for the alma mater if the team lost. Remember that whole ker- kerfuffle that it was, it, it really hasn't happened because they've won, what, 15 <laughs> straight at home now? So, like, no one's thought about it, right? But that's. Right. That was the policy. I don't know if it's still the policy. Like we look, had- that wasn't a thing until Weiss got here, anyways, right? No, yeah, absolutely. So it was. So, just, I mean, to me, it was Jack, a tradition. But then Jack the was like, "It's a player safety issue." Like, no, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. Well, here's come my on. here was my my whole take on the on the alma mater after the game was, is I never liked it from the begin from the beginning. I I know I am in the minority, and that is absolutely fine. But I never liked it. I just thought, and then when you, when you would state your opinion, people will lose their fucking mind and talk about tradition. And that's what really, that's what actually makes me even more mad is what people actually constitute as a tradition. It's just like, this just, this just happened. It's not tradition. Right. right. You know, so, but the, I, I could not stand those guys having to stand there in front of their classmates after getting like their asses handed to them and swaying i it it i know it wasn't it isn't the correct feeling to have but it just felt soft as fuck to me like notre dame had a culture problem a few they they, they had a culture problem as far as like focus on like candlelight dinners on, and soft dining i don't know man I, I don't i don't know how to describe it. it's a difficult thing it, it's a hard thing to really put your finger on just to say what exactly it was but they were you know, you're a losing culture. You know, guys that know that they have a bright future ahead of them after Notre Dame without football. And it, it wasn't life or death for them. You know, I, there was, I mean, just your weight training program. I mean, there's just, there's all sorts of things that like affected the culture. Brian Kelly, thank Christ, has changed so much of that. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I just, I don't feel you look at the, the the teams Weiss had in like 08, 09. You know, I'm not I'm not even really talking about 07, but like his last two teams. And then you look at like what Brian Kelly has right now. It's just it isn't just the wins. It's like a whole different vibe going. I mean, it's a whole it's just completely different. Um, going on in the locker room, how how these guys are, what kind of players they're recruiting, um, you know, what football means to them. You know, what are, it, it's just different. I mean, and so to me, it all goes together. I, I know people think I'm silly for talking about rivalry trophies and all that shit, but I'm just trying, I'm trying to, I want Notre Dame to be more normalized into the general scope of college football. Anytime you take anything that's just normal everywhere else, but it's like taboo where you're at, that makes you kind of like a weirdo. It's like not getting real beer out in fucking Utah. <laughs> You know, you're a bunch of weirdos. Just have it's beer for crying outside. It ain't fucking moonshine. Let me ask you a question. Do you do you uh, like the Leprechaun? <laughs> How I so? Think, I just think it's funny. I, I just I, was that Seabass Irish who put that together, Chris? Yeah. I, that, I I just I laugh whenever I see it. I think it's great, and I I think it's yeah. great that you no, know I, we've we've held on to all these uh, pieces for quite a while now. Uh, I think well, probably yeah, I mean, we're not playing a lot of these teams now either or a few of these teams. So, well, no, I, no, them, I, yeah. I, I'm back at hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to let's vulture on the shit out of this thing. Yeah. That's cute. It's funny. I don't know. It, it, I don't know. 
Hey, it's such a silly thing to 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 talk about. I, what, I get it. What but every time that, we come up against a, a bit, you know, if it's Michigan State or if it's USC, I'll probably bitch about it when we play Stanford. Sure. Um, maybe not so much against BC, but hell, why not? Uh, I still feel that this that their uniforms should be in honor of Frank Leahy, not the fucking '88 team. I think that's a joke. Like, how many more times are we gonna honor the '88 team? Give Frank his due, damn it. Um, one of the things that I just want to circle back to one of the things you just said, which was the the kind of the vibe around the program and how it was it was a lot it's a, a lot different even two years ago than it was today. Uh, I think you're seeing that with the kind of guys that they're getting in terms of recruits. They landed two, uh, I would say, major recruits this week out of and, out of the backyards of two major programs. I mean, yeah, and one of them is a legacy. To Ohio State, right? That, that's kind. Of, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a huge deal. It's and the other, the other one goes to school with Kirby Smart's kids. He's friends with them, right? And 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 I think that the deal is they're coming to this campus and it feels vibrant. It feels like there's a winning culture that's been established here, and they and they want to be a part of it. And they think to themselves, I might be the one, the key, the missing ingredient that gets Notre Dame over the hump. And and I. Right. And I don't think that the kids felt that way in 2017. No, and you know, or here's 2018 the thing. Even there, there are, and people like Colin Cowherd can't be anything more than fucking basic white girl, you know, about when it comes to recruiting. But they are obvious points. There are disadvantages to Notre Dame when it comes to recruiting in terms of like if you're a player from the South and coming up to South Bend weather, that is going to be a factor for a lot of those guys. I get it. You know, going to a school that has, that is very religious can be a negative factor for a lot of guys uh, for the kind of guy uh, there, there are some of those disadvantages, but the culture within the program makes those disadvantages fucking nothing. You know what I mean? Like what, if you get into a group of guys that can, that are coming together for football, the way that these guys do, those disadvantages when they're recruiting, they aren't there. They're not advantages, but they're just not, they're not as prevalent. When you're losing those, those, those things like, like I just said, those become major factors in a recruit's decision. Now they're just like, eh, just, just character builders. That's what they are now, you know? <laughs> I, that, that's kind of what I, I mean, what I feel. I just, I don't, I don't think Notre Dame's out for recruits now for some of these dumb reasons. You know, they still have, yes. And when we say academics, it isn't just that these guys have grades or not. It, it has to do with, you know, did their school prepare them? I mean, some, some, of, these, some of these recruits, their schools failed them by not having them take the, take the proper courses. It's just right. a, Sometimes it's just a matter of, of course load that they had while they were in high school. Um, some of them are test scored. I mean, but a lot of Notre Dame can recruit a lot of players. This is it isn't like there's a large there isn't this huge number of players that they can't recruit within the top 300 ranks recruits. There just isn't. It, it's that's more myth than fact. But Notre Dame does take it a little extra by trying to find proper fit. Sure. So even if a, you know people will peg like an academic thing on a kid. Sometimes it's just it's just a fit thing. I mean, just look what what Brian Kelly has done with this whole Florida thing. 
You know, Florida was a major focus of recruiting for forever. You know, for 15, 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, they've had some issues, whether it's fair or not, because individuals are individuals, right? Just because I'm from Ohio doesn't make me a, a hoodie with a jersey over it wearing asshole. I'm just an asshole. <laughs> but just because you're from Florida doesn't mean that you're smoking weed every fucking... I mean, that's that's what it right. boils down or to. Or a gangbanger. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Let's just not beat around the bush. That's just what the perception is. Right. And it's a, it, and it's wrong. I mean, guys are different throughout. But Kelly is just because of the focus and what has gone on. You just you change that. All right. Well, we'll just shift up to Georgia. We'll shift over to Texas. I just think that they're doing a much much better job with fit, um, and what they want to do within the program. Tell you what, I wish Mark Marquis Step was a fit man. That guy looked like a real pounder. Oh, I'll t- let me. I'll tell you a little story about Marquis Step. I work with his cousin, okay, and who is a uh, huge Michigan fan. And basically, every time, uh, every time I I see him, we we, we just start jawing for like 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> and, and, and I love I love him to death. He's a, he's a really cool guy. Um, and I never knew that I I, he, I didn't know Marquis was his cousin. Uh, but I, he had asked me about him a couple of weeks ago. I said, yeah, you know, you know, he's out of SC. I said, we'll, we'll see him, blah, blah, blah. And then he told me, yeah, I'm, that's because of blah, blah, blah. And he started talking about him and said, he's pretty fired up. He was pretty fired up by the Notre Dame game. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of, let me show you what you're missing out on. Of course. With Step. And that's a damn shame. You know, that the thing with step was, is that everybody knew that he wasn't going to be able to be in Notre Dame's recruiting class. And the coaches knew for a long time before he decommitted. Like, this guy was holding on because he was holding on for hope. And then, you know, then they're just, it wasn't there. So then he goes to SC. So, yeah, there was a whole lot of, let me show you what I got. And you saw that on the field Saturday night. I, that, I thought Steph was incredible. I mean, he I, played, I just, he I, played like a man possessed. It was great. It was, it was incredible. And I, and I think he proved his point. Yeah, so. I mean, he started a fight. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he, did he was, am- he was I mean, amped up. I mean, that's what. Why would you not want that? I mean, as far as like, hell yeah, I wanted a fight to happen. This is SC Notre Dame. This is your top rival. This is the shit that should be going on. I mean, scrap it for. I mean, I I I loved it. I loved every every second of watching Step play. I mean, unfortunately, he was gashing us here and there. I get it, but it just. That, that's the part of college football that you love, right? Like the, the, the chip on the shoulder from recruiting yeah. that, you know, a player goes out and like, let me show you what I got. Hell, we Notre Dame fans are well aware of that, right? Like how many times have we played like Boston college or, or some hodunk school and be like, yeah, this kid was a Notre Dame fan his whole life and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he's out there like throwing it for 389 yards and four touchdowns. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right, Jude? Absolutely, absolutely. Or like Luke, like Luke Kukli. Yeah. <laughs> like, how many times are they going to say, you know, wasn't recruited by Notre Dame, did not get an offer? And I'm, Fitzgerald. And I'm like screaming at, I'm like screaming at the TV, like, let me tell you what other fucking schools he wasn't offered by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like um, they mentioned during the broadcast that uh, Ian Book grew up a UCLA fan, just despite his brother who was a USC fan, which I think is just. It's just a little fun tidbit. 
I did. Uh, I didn't know I did that. That's, he said that the I Rockets. didn't know that either. Yeah. Oh, that's Tariq right. Oak dropped that one. Oh, good job, Mike. How was? Hey, I know we're running a little long, but that's just you, me, and you. How was? Uh, how was Flutie on the broadcast? I have. I've watched it a second time, completely in mute. Oh yeah. So here's here's we talked about this a lot on Twitter, right? I I was I was doing the rewatch. Of course, I'm catching Flutieisms, right? And I tweeted one out uh, where he was like. Well, Ian Book was feeling the pressure, and that's why I got rid of the ball, and that's why it can't be a late hit. And it's like, what? Uh, what? And so I said, what kind of convoluted logic was that? And, and what it ended up doing was filling my mentions on Twitter with every person who wanted to bear their soul about how much they hate Doug Flutie, right? <laughs> and so my, my feeling about Doug Flutie is, is like, he's just an annoyance. You know what I mean? Like, he, I don't, I don't like him. I, I do, I do wish we had Mike Mayock back. Obviously, Brady Quinn and all that. Anybody would be a pretty much a step up. But Doug Flutie, he, just he, he, for me, he's like, he's just kind of this mildly annoying thing that I have to put up with to get Tarico. I always see them as kind of a package deal. Like, well, we do we, have we, Mike Tarico. You know what I mean? Which is not true. It, it, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have. Well, to speaking be of package, I mean, would you trade? Would you trade Tarico and Flutie for like the Thursday night ESPN crew? No, I, oh, I don't, I mean, I don't, you know what I'm the, talking about? Yeah. Adam Amin, that's like Pat McAfee, and like, that's, 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 that's college football on, on PCP. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's, it's a little, it's, it's, it's fun. So that's where you it's, draw the line. Like, like, well, it's, it's Thursday night fun. It's not like Brad and I talked about this. Like, no, I know, I, I know. That's I, why love I, it up. I love Adam Amin. I love, Pat McAfee, but they belong on Thursday. They do not belong on the Saturday NBC. You don't want to bring WWE SmackDown. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if Sheamus was involved, yeah, maybe. But uh, <laughs> uh, so, anyways, so Flutie just said a bunch of dumb things. But I think the thing that made Flutie bad in this game or worse in this game was he was he's been doing this thing for the last couple of weeks where he's been talking about they're not fouls if. The, the one team is down by a lot. They're not fouls if I don't see a lot of like move, like a lot of a grabbing or whatever. So he's making a lot of judgment calls and he's not following the, the kind of textbook, textbook definitions of what these fouls are. So the problem is that now they are doing this appeal to authority, right? And the authority is Terry McCauley, this NFL referee who's now the rules analyst for NBC, which Terry McCauley's fine, and I think he is an enhancement to the broadcast, but if he's going to be like, yeah, well, he did grab his face mask, but, you know, it wasn't much of a tug, so I would have let that go or whatever. It's like, I- I'm sorry, Terry, a face mask is a face mask. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can't put your hands on the guy's face mask and, and you know, cover his face mask. Like, that's no, that's, it wasn't. It happened a couple it, times Saturday right, night. Cole Komet definitely, it definitely happened to Cole Komet, right? And there wasn't, a, there wasn't the tug. Tarico said, "Like, well, they always call it when they can see the he- the head snap, and and there and there wasn't a signature kind of head snap, like like okay, that guy got his helmet grabbed or whatever, but it was still a face mask, right? And I get it all real time or whatever, but you know what? Terry McCauley and Doug Flutie get to watch this back a couple of times. You know what I mean? And Doug had a great one in the first, I think it was the first quarter. Um, it was a holding call by Jen- Jordan Jen Mark Heath on a kickoff return." And literally, the ref had already announced the entire foul. They had started it on the replay, and Doug goes, "Yeah, I saw that from up here." Like, like oh. he had just like like he 
he saw it, but he didn't think it was wor- worthy of saying anything until after the referee announced the penalty and they had run the replay on NBC. Like Doug, you get you get no you get no points for for have seen seeing a penalty and then declaring after the fact. That's like, well, I knew the Cubs were going to win the World Series. Like, okay, but like, what? When? When did you? When did you say that? At the beginning of the season or after they won the seventh game? You know what I mean? Like, it just it, so Doug, Doug and Terry had a couple of uh, two or three moments during this game where they were like, yeah, and they were always judgment calls that went against Notre Dame, and so they were like, you know, they were like, kind of like, oh, that's not a big deal, and it was always siding with USC. And so if your feeling is that Doug Flutie always roots for the opponent or always hypes up the opponent more than they deserve it, you're not going to be thrilled by what you heard <laughs> on Saturday night between Doug Flutie and Terry McCauley. And then Tariko's just sitting there going like, well, okay, that's what Terry McCauley says. So anyways, it's third down and six. Like he's not offering his opinion. You know what I mean? So he's kind of staying out of it. But he's also bringing Terry into the conversation. And Terry's just like... Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of past interference, but it's not really. Like, no, okay, that doesn't. We 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 don't we don't exist like that. You know what I mean? The guy, like uh, Troy, probably got away with one, where he was like grabbing the the the, the shirt on. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was Tyler Vaughn's uh, in the end zone or whatever. And so, look, I, I realize that this cuts both ways, right? But at the same time, it just it felt like my perception of it was. There's probably two, three, or four instances where they they appealed to Terry, and Terry and Doug agreed, and they agreed in a way that would have benefited USC had it been called, you know. So that's my flutie. That's my flutie rant for this week. Oh dear God! All right, we are running very long. Jude, is there anything else you want to say? I think we're gonna we're gonna hightail it out of here. Is there anything else you want to add to what I we look when Jude and I sat down? Uh, before we recorded, we're like, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the USC game, and then we're going to talk about Notre Dame's first half. Obviously, we're not going to get to the first six games like in a broader sense today. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, the, we got we got plenty a, time to do that. We got yeah. we got plenty. We got a bye week coming up. But is there anything else, Jude, you want to add to uh, for everybody? I just I want to tell you that Pat Rick has put out a call for questions, and he's going to do a bye week question and answer. I. This is like, Dear God, of, go get it. This is one of my favorite things, right? So I don't know when that actually drops. Is it going to drop tomorrow? Do you have any idea? I, I'm just very excited about this. Hard tell them a Pat. Yeah. Hard I, tell yeah, them, I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't really, last time we talked, we hyped up a clash war mics thing. We waited two, two, yeah, months. two months for that thing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we, uh, if, if you get a chance, if he hasn't published it yet, uh, shoot him a question because no matter how insane it is, actually, it, if it's really insane, it's guaranteed to get answered. Uh, and you're really going to want to know. Uh, you're really going to want to hear uh, the answer. So Yeah, and, and, and I just, you know, the last thing that we always say is is if you if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't like what you're hearing, uh, give us some feedback. We did three podcasts last week. Um, I did a podcast with Greg Flamon, our friend from uh, who's an Notre Dame fan who lives out in Southern California. He did a great USC uh, preview. Uh, Brad and I did one together. Um, and so there would, and Josh did one by himself. And so there was kind of a, a wide array of offerings. If, if you liked any of those, if you didn't like any of those, uh, let us know, rate and review on iTunes or wherever, uh, you can, you can leave us a review. Um, that feedback is helpful because when we decide whether, what we're going to do in terms of, 
uh, configurations and, and guests that we have on and stuff like that. If you guys are like, I love Greg, then we'll go, we'll try to have Greg on more. Um, yeah, we'd love to have, we would love to have Greg on more, but yeah, you West, know what, West Coast, East Coast. With you, even if you said you didn't like Greg, we probably would have Greg on yeah, more. It, it's West but, Coast, East Coast beef, uh, with, with, uh, time zones, uh, is the major problem there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to, I don't want to actually record it at midnight, uh, to get Greg onto the show. So Greg's like, well, that, Greg's actually, a family that man. actually works all right for me. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so anyways, uh, leave us that feedback. I think iTunes is the way, the way to do it. Are we, are we at a hundred ratings yet? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I say that with so much confidence. Yeah. We, uh, we went over that, uh, quite a few weeks ago. Sweet. Um, so we we're well over a hundred. Uh, it may only be one Oh three or one Oh four, but to me that's well over. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, give us rate us. Damn it. I mean, let's, let's jack this thing up. Uh, give us a review. I, I, I mean, I'm not begging for a five-star rating. I'm not. If you don't think it's a five-star podcast, then don't give me a five-star. I don't care. I'm looking for just your honest opinion of it. Uh, you know, if you give me a two-star, please re- le- at least say why. Uh, I'm, I'm that, I'll see what I can do about changing things. I am a difficult person uh, in general. So, yeah, I laugh a lot. I got a raspy voice. I cuss. Uh, I, I will say something stupid one week and contradict myself the next week, act like it was gospel. It just, it's just the way it goes. Welcome to my world. Um, but yeah, we definitely want the feedback. because uh, I mean, we're, we're in this for the long haul. Uh, I say that as I'm like burping out my ninth beer of the night already. So, <laughs> um, that's pretty much it. Hey, we, uh, we added a new writer to the site this week. I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, Brendan McAlladin, uh, who's very piratey on Twitter, longtime Twitter person, does a lot of good Photoshop stuff, uh, was a big part of the Rezus campaign years and years ago. Uh, so I just, I just wanted to mention that because I thought that I, I asked him about, uh, I jokingly asked him, have you ever thought about blogging before? And then got a message from him. He's like, yeah. Like, oh shit, I was just joking, but okay, let's roll with it. Uh, that's kind of how I work. So you he has know. 38 followers. I'm going to become number 39. As long as he doesn't talk about politics, I think I'm, I'm in. I I'm don't definitely think in. that's ever an issue with him. Good. All right. Very piety. Uh, and, a, and I'm pretty sure he gets a question in each week, or not each week, but a lot of weeks over to uh, our friends over at Pot of Gold. Cool. All so. Right. That's it for us, man. We're 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 done. That USC, we are Notre Dame is five and one. We are ranked number eight in the country. I cannot believe they. I cannot believe Notre Dame is ranked ahead of Georgia. I I just, I really can't believe that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but we are. They're setting up themselves for a uh, for a good run here. Let's go fucking beat Michigan. We'll have a lot more uh, off season or a bi week fun, and then week leading up to Michigan here soon on uh, onefootdown.com so check that all out till then go out